let's 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 I tell you what, let's just let's slip crack away. on. Let's slip away and leave Yep leave, and breathe. Leave the real world behind and come yep. back into the past. Um, we're going down the rabbit hole. We are going down the rabbit hole and we are going down the rabbit hole with Ed the Techie. Ed, lead on my mind. Thank lead you very on. much, John. And uh, thank you listeners for tuning in. And yeah, without further ado, let's uh, crack on. We started last week with the, the uh, Vatican secret archive and a bit of a history of the Vatican. And I wanted to cover Pope John Paul I, but we ran out of time, so we decided we were going to do it tonight. Um, it might be a bit of a shorter presentation than last week, um, because it was sort of towards the end, and I've I fleshed it out a little bit. Um, but Pope John Paul I is, is worth covering, because surprisingly, not that many people know about him. There's a lot of people that know about John Paul II, um, yeah. but not so much about his predecessor who funnily enough um and this will uh this will amuse all of the people that are watching freemasons like a hawk yeah um pope john paul i died suddenly 33 days after um being crowned a pope's crown canonized does it I'm not sure. I think uh, it's canonized. I don't know. Maybe there's Catholic you know what? listening who can jump into chat and tell us. Well, I think the Catholic left. <laughs> oh, from... oh dear. Oh right. <laughs> Apart from that, what um, what I was going to say is, I'm not quite up on my popes. Are we still on John Paul II? No. 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 We've, no, had, no, we've had no. We've had John Paul II. We've had Benedict the something or other like 13th or something like that quite a high number um and now we're on pope francis and i'm not sure if he's francis the first or the second yeah right there have been there have been nearly 300 popes in the in the nigh on 1500 year ish history of the catholic church um but pope john paul the first was special um and he was called the Smiling Pope. And if you do a search for him, if you search for him on Google, you should search for his name, Albino Luciani. Mm -hmm. Because if you try and search for Pope John Paul, um, Google throws back a lot of Pope John Paul II. But if you search for Pope John Paul I, the one thing that you'll probably notice, as I did, is that 95% of the pictures, he's actually got a full-on smile on his face. Yeah. Um, and the other 5%, he looks like he's smiling with his eyes, even in really serious situations. It was why I picked the cover slide um, of this one, because that was him just after he was uh, he became Pope. Um, and, yeah, he's been the subject of countless conspiracy theories. So there's a fantastic book called In God's Name by Dave, David Yallop. I think. Let me just check that name. Um yeah, David Gallup. And it's actually, in a way, this is kind of my first rabbit hole because I remember quite clearly when I was about eight or nine years old, I remember my, my dad talking about this book that he was reading about the Pope and the Catholic Church and how things weren't 
what he'd been told and, and he was finding it very interesting and it was it's kind of my although I didn't I didn't actually read the book at the time it was it was that first it's the first time that I can remember thinking maybe there's more to stuff that's going on um, but let's just go into a little bit of his history now Albino Luciani was born oh before I keep going um, I'm apologies to any Italian speakers in the house well I mangle a whole bunch of names um but he was born into humble beginnings on october the 17th 1912 in canale da in italy which is kind of a mountain town um his was a life swaddled in simplicity uh, his family grappled with the hardships of a working class life against the rugged backdrop of the Belluno province as was customary for sons of devoutly Catholic families, young Luciani was brought up in an environment of deep faith and the seeds of service to God were sown early and took root. The young Albino was an astute learner, quickly setting himself apart by his intellectual prowess and growing religious devotion. Uncharacteristically ambitious for one, for one from such cloistered beginnings, he trained to become a priest, entering the diocesan seminary of Belluno at a tender age of 11, which is a really young age to become a priest. Yeah, how, how do you know you want to be a priest at that age? I, I wondered that. I mean, maybe, I mean, kids can. I mean, they say your personality is formed by the age of six or seven. I mean, religion... Yeah. Yeah, but, um, sort of working class. Do you think back to when you were eleven? Ed, did, I mean, I, I didn't even know what I wanted to be when I was thirteen. Never mind eleven. I wanted to watch Transformers cartoons on a Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just um, just give me a second, Ed. I just want to ask the troll room. Um, how's the audio? I, uh, I thought Ed was maybe a bit loud there, so I've turned him down slightly. Did I go too far? So we'll wait, we'll wait and see if um, they respond to me. I can me. say something if that's helpful for people. Say some more. Um, right. What did I say? Young Albino was an astute learner. Yeah, okay. He's setting himself apart. Uh, we're getting good. We're getting good. Um, Mar Marlissa says, Prima. Prima. Cool. Oh. Prima. Prima. Benna. So he was ordained on a priest on as a, on the July the seventh, nineteen thirty-five, embarking on what would become a lifetime of commitment to the service of church and God. Luciano's ascent within the church was steady, punctuated by periods of intense personal growth, service, and the concurrent emergence of a deeply empathetic and compassionate personality. His dedication saw him rise from being a parish vicar to the bishop of Victorio, Veneto and subsequently 1969, the Patriarch of Venice. His astute understanding of theological constructs and uncanny knowledge of pastoral necessities combined with a hum humble demeanor and keen insight into human nature, which garnered him many followers and a reputation for being a people's pope. Um, he's also a voracious reader. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, why he may well have been able to make his mind up to, that he wanted to be a priest by the age of 11 is because whereas other mothers encouraged their sons to just be out and stuff, for some reason his mother encouraged him to learn and his parents were um, wanting him to read and would buy him books and things like that. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, but I, I was a voracious reader and probably I'm an, an obnoxious child, um, much like I am now. But but I was tending to read things like um, things about the occult. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things about Luciani that I I didn't realise was that his his um, spectrum of the stuff that he read was massive. Everything from Mark Twain right the way up to um, the classics, Voltaire, and all sorts. Cool, cool. Um, but as his fame grew, his path also led him arguably to, towards one of history's most secretive and enigmatic establishments, the Vatican. On August 26th, he was elected as the 263rd Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, assuming as mantle Pope John Paul I, his papal name and amalgamation of his two immediate predecessors' names, Pope John XXIII and Pope Paul VI, um, which symbolised unity and continuity. But he also joked that it was just John Paul because it was easier, and one thing that's characteristic of him because he was kind of a man of the people and his nickname amongst like italians and stuff um was i think it was Gian Paolo. so it was, it was very informal um for a pope and he was a very different kind of pope um and i think he set he set a precedent which john paul ii followed in terms of being more of a, a man of the people and less of the the sort of very distant um, kind of religious guy sitting in Venice, uh, in, in the Vatican, that, that didn't really interact with the people and, and was some kind, kind of above them somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he first assumed his papal duties on the August 26, 1978, following the death of Pope Paul VI. He was the first pope in history to choose a double name to honor his. Oh, I've done that bit. Have I? No. Yeah, he yeah, was the first done that, but... pope in history to choose a double name to honor his predecessors, underscoring his desire to combine the humanitarian work of John the Twenty Third with the reformist approach of Paul the Sixth. Um, Luciani's reign was marked by his advocacies for the poor. Um, his papacy symbol was a ship depicting the Church's salvation mission amidst a stormy, stormy sea. However, his intellect and popularity within the church community proved a double-edged sword, and his progressiveness posed a, th- a serious threat to those set in traditional ways. And he he started that right from the beginning. He he was literally no, I'm not interested in any of these traditions. He he didn't even um, he refused to allow people to call him pontiff, and he wanted uh, what was it? Uh, God, I've just forgotten. Hang on, it's here somewhere. So oh, it'll come back to me. Well, anyway, well, he, he was well, Ed's gone. doing that. Anyone who has any questions during the show, file them into the chat, and I'll slip them in at opportune moments. Hopefully, opportune moments. Um, any questions I ask are genuine questions, and um, we don't set this show up. We don't do any. Um, don't do any rehearsals or anything like that. So um, when I ask a question, it's a genuine question because I'd like to know the answer. It's not there just And also, to, she said to me, because you think that, that if you've got the question, then other people may well have the question. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's good because it breaks things up. You don't want to hear me droning on for an hour. For God's sake, no. I mean, we'd all be sleeping, wouldn't we? <laughs> 
Um, and there's a few things about um, Luciani that stand out. He was known for his extreme simplicity and humility and completely declined the traditional paper coronation and instead opted for a really simple um, inauguration. Mm-hmm. Um, his humble origins being the son of a factory worker and a housewife deeply influenced his life and probably inspired that humility. He's also known for his frugality. He chose to wear the same pectoral cross and ring he used when he was the Patriarch of Venice, rejecting the more ornate ones that were customarily used by popes. He also believed, and he practiced this when he was Patriarch of Venice as well, that the the church should be uh, a church of the poor, by the poor, for the poor kind of thing. He wanted to take it back to what Christ had in mind and he was uh, he got into he got into all sorts of trouble with um other high up church officials in venice because he was selling things off and helping people out with money and all kinds of stuff that rubbed people up the wrong way yeah because you don't really think of the catholic church being like that these days they're kind of they're kind of always hovering in the background but they always seem to have plenty of money don't they and they're always there well, when you're getting, getting on in life and saying, you know, you're going to donate that to the church when you die. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's it's money is, is where the story gets really interesting. At the moment, I'm just trying to give, I'm just trying to give give the listeners um, and you a kind of uh, just paint a picture of the man um, and and sort of explain who he was and where he came from. Um, and, and what his sort of motivations are, but it's his frugality and his desire to, for the church to be more poor than it was rich um, was a problem for a certain faction within the church. And that certain faction within the church happened to be connected to international banking and Freemasons and Nazis and all sorts of other wonderfully savory characters. Um, but Luciani was also considered an exceptionally warm and gentle person. He had a particular fondness for children, and he often used simple language and metaphors aiming to be understood, especially by children and the less educated. Um, In terms of personality, he was always known for his approachability and down-to-earth nature. He willingly broke with papal ceremonial traditions to promote a more accessible image of the pontiff and to humanize the position. I thought that was a great picture of him. Of all of the, the ones that I spotted, that one just it just has normal you you that is just someone that's a face that you you could talk to it's someone that you you can kind of you can see the humor the the humanity it's a it's a great picture and i've i've i didn't do this deliberately but it worked out this way when i found the pictures but if you can see this red mm-hmm. bit of person we're going to come back to him a in cardinal? a minute because uh, yeah, I'm not going to mention his name right okay. now because he's he's. Um, what age yeah. was this guy? Uh, he was. Hang on a minute. He was crowned pope in 1978. And he was born in 1912. Uh, so Sick. you you're uh, better at math. Well, like yeah, 50s, six, sixty. Yeah, uh, fairly young. Um, that was one of his. Sixty-six. Uh, that was his. That was Pope John the Twenty Third, one of the people that he took his name oh, from. He's a severe-looking character. Yeah, I mean that's that's the more sort of traditional papal type figure that people have kind of come to 
expect and and he has that look of someone sort of serious and boring <laughs> um pope john paul I was known for his kindness and compassion he once said if god is father then he is mostly a mother emphasizing his belief in the nurturing side of faith mm-hmm. Despite the enormous burdens of office, he always maintained his sense of humor and was often seen smiling and even joking, earning him the informal title of the Smiling Pope. He was also very intellectual. He wrote several books that combined theology, spiritually, and pastoral guidance in a simple and understandable manner. His teachings and writings were revered by both the clergy and lay followers for their depth of insight and simplicity. He firmly believed in a church that was inclusive and compassionate. He had a reputation for promoting tolerance and dialogue both within and outside the church. Um, he was also deeply spiritual, possessing strong belief in prayer and divine providence. Um, his deep spirituality was often reflected in his teachings and writings. Even as cardinal, he displayed a keen sense of social justice and economic equality, standing up for the rights of dignity of every individual, especially the poor and the marginalized. And the people loved him. He was massively popular, which is one of the reasons that I think he, um, the, the subsequent popes, like particularly Pope John Paul II, who was clearly, he chose, popes choose their names very specifically to, to, kind of let people know what sort of pope they're going to be. And when you have 263 odd people to choose from, it's probably more of a choice, like which one of those guys am I going to try and, oh my God. Who Um, was the pope that used to have the orgies? uh, Alexander. Yeah, he was Alexander the something. And he's, when, if you're doing any kind of research on the Vatican or the popes, Alexander, he was Alexander Borgia, mm. that's the one. Yeah, so yeah, he was so Pope. Uh, uh, has anyone ever called? What? Has anyone ever called themselves Pope Alexander after that? No, no, he's, he's literally, they, they don't even like talking about it. But this, I mean, and he was a Borgia, so he was as corrupt as they come. And for people who, who don't know, the Borgias are one of those ancient Italian families that could well be mm-hmm. like one of the, the, the 13 families that control the planet. Type like of a, thing. Like they're, a, they're, a mafia family yeah. type thing, yeah. I, I don't think the Borgias, I'm not sure what their ties are to the mafia because I don't think they're Sicilian but they're more they're, they're kind of aristocratic it's a mafia only it's it a mafia only Sicilian and I know we're going off on a little tangent here but it's quite an interesting I, I, tangent I, I, to be honest I don't I don't know that much oh hold mafia on beyond we're um, dropping like, frames this is not good so, well no I mean I, I, I know a certain amount but I've never really done any in-depth research because they, they just crop up here there and everywhere when you're doing other sorts of research um, so, right, back to Pope John Paul I. Now, on the morning of September the 28th, 1978, after only 33 days in office, Luciani was found dead in his bed. Mm-hmm. The Vatican's official explanation was myocardial infarction, a sudden heart attack, ostensibly from previous unknown health issues. Died so, suddenly. I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> I was going to say that. He died suddenly dying before suddenly. dying suddenly was a thing. Um, but he was completely healthy as well. I mean, he was a, a healthy working class lad from the mountains. He used to... Well, yeah, I mean, if you yeah, look at him... Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, but... That, that guy, that 33 days after this 
That picture was taken. Right. Okay, he well, was dead of a, a heart attack. Yes, yes. I mean, he's not overweight. Okay, okay, he, but he doesn't have—he he doesn't have like his skin seems clear, his eyes seem clear. He's got good teeth. I mean, that is not a person that looks. But you don't like know any kind of health problem. See, that's the problem. You don't know because, and and let's face it, sometimes thin people are fat inside. That's true. Yeah, no, that's subcutaneous. What is that's it? True. Uh, visceral fat. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, th there is a chance. There is always a chance that it was, and it would be boring if we if we just left it here. But there's a chance that it was a natural death, isn't there? Um, absolutely. Yeah. You can't. I mean, as with all of these rabbit holes, we are speculating, we are researching, we are theorizing. And people have to make up their own minds, most importantly, do their own research. And absolutely, we could be completely wrong about all of this. Um, and it could just be everything's swamp gas and lights in the sky and we just okay. go back to normal. Um, or so, we can properly go yeah. down the rabbit hole. So, so, so he, was let's, found let's dead. Do that. he was found dead in his bed. A fairly young age, the late sixties, if uh, no more than that. Um, he was healthy. He looked, he looked happy and unstressed, really, as much as a pope probably can be. Um, although he did have a completely different approach to the rest of the entire church. Yeah, absolutely. He, his, okay. um, he managed to piss an awful lot of people off mm -hmm. um, in in the, the Roman Curia and the Curia is the it's the Vatican bureaucracy is probably the best way to describe it they're kind of there's it, not a huge number of them mm -hmm. um, and they're all they all have Vatican passports which means they've got diplomatic immunity and they don't have to pay taxes and all of that good stuff. So are these guys like the kind of civil servants of the Vatican, or are yeah, they above that? Yeah, I mean they're all they're all sort of cardinals oh. and all of that stuff. So they're, they're all part they're all part of the church, I think. Well, these guys will be um, like they'll be like um, they'll be like the EU. These will be like the Ursa von der Leyen's, you know, the ones that aren't elected but actually run the show. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. and I mean the the Pope. Yeah, uh, different, different popes have different amounts of influence, and and the popes. I mean, after um, some of some previous papal abuses, subsequent popes put in new rules and stuff. But the pope has um, ultimate authority in in the, the Catholic Church and in the Vatican. They they have the pope basically says says jump, and everyone else says how high. So, um, Spencer's saying, no. why do popes have to choose a new name? Do they have to, or is it just a tradition that they do? It's because, tradition, as we, far as I know. It, yeah. it's, um, I think that there's, there's probably entire reams of paper written about um, why popes choose a name, and, and there's probably a book written about why each pope chose the name that they chose. Uh, but it's it, as with everything... It's tradition. People have to understand that the Vatican is steeped in it. You don't. I mean, if you look at the the British monarchy, how steeped they are in all that tradition, mm -hmm. um, and the monarchy is is young compared to the Vatican. 
and there's also the expectation. I mean, people people have expectations of how popes and cardinals and bishops and priests and all these sorts of people have to behave. Um, but where it gets interesting with Pope John Paul I is the inconsistencies surrounding the discovery of his death. Um, and it includes differing accounts of who found him dead, the timing of the discovery, and an alleged break in the papal death protocol. Um, the now infamous book, In God's Name, by journalist David Yallop, that I mentioned before, suggests that Pope John Paul I was assassinated because of inten his intent to reform Vatican finances and incapacitate the corrupt aspects of it more of which in a little while. Okay. Um, Yalop points to the Vatican's hasty embalming, lack of post-mortem, and the promptness of declaring a natural causes in a, as an attempt to cover up the assassination. Now, it, this is this is classic 9-11. Let's just get rid of the freaking evidence really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, or JFK. I mean, that in itself raises so many red flags. Um, and it, it, right. it's just uh, so, it links a lot of rabbit holes. So when a normal right when a pope dies, okay, there isn't a time constraint on burying them, is there? No. Right. So and there's no religious objection to a post mortem or anything like that from the Catholic no, Church not, generally. Absolutely not. I think there have been post mortems right. conducted on yeah. previous popes. So, so this seems a bit strange that a young, fairly healthy guy, or, or youngish, fairly healthy guy, dies in his sleep, and next thing you know, he's embalmed and buried. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that was Pope Paul the Sixth, the predecessor. I got the slides the wrong way around. Mm -hmm. um, now. Carrying on, Luciani had expressed an intent to dig into the Vatican Bank's financial irregularities, of which there were many, leading many to believe that this could have been a motive for his rumoured assassination. I would say it's so likely I would wager money on it. Um, additionally, Luciani was said to have had in his possession a list of Freemasons, including high-ranking church officials. His intent to expose and excommunicate those involved may have been an added motive for his removal. That list that we're talking about isn't just any list of Freemasons. We're talking about the P2 uh, Propaganda Due um, Masonic Lodge, right, which was okay. hugely, hugely powerful in Italy in, in the 50s and 60s, post-war post Italy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of the where they got their money and influence from um, sort of stemmed from wartime activities and post-war activities. But we'll come back to that in a minute. Okay. Now, so he's, where, where were we? Let me just find, yeah, there we go. Um, stirring more controversy, former uh, priest Charles Fiorenzo Nicastro, Nicastro made a shocking revelation in his documentary, The Pope's Maestro, Nicastro claims he had information from inside sources indicating that Pope John Paul I was poisoned, a claim dismissed by the Vatican as pure fabrication. Diverging from the official explanation, some conspiracy theorists highlight the discrepancies in who found the pontiff and at what time. Sister Vincenza, who allegedly found the Pope dead, contradicted herself several times during subsequent interviews. I couldn't find a decent picture of her. 
Moreover, Cardinals Villo and Baggio supposedly destroyed personal notes, prescriptions and medications present in the Pope's room before the cause of his death was officially announced. That's dodgy. And I've got a picture of Villo. Was that about like the Building 7? <laughs> falling down? Yeah, it's... <laughs> falling yeah. down after it was announced. <laughs> yeah, and, and kind of the passport as well. Just turning up in, mm-hmm. in the ashes, perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. And th- that creepy, this is why I came back to this particular picture. Oh my because God. that creepy looking SOB is um, Cardinal Jean-Marie Villo, and he was the Vatican Secretary of State. And um, it was essentially number two to the Pope from in terms of authority and power, and arguably, probably a bit more powerful. Um, being one of those civil servants we were talking about. It looks evil. Um, but obviously the, the, the obfuscation of destroying personal notes and prescriptions and stuff just adds scepticism. I mean, if you've got nothing to hide, then why worry about it? Surely those notes and, I mean, certainly the prescriptions and medications would be of interest to medical examiners or pathologists or whoever trying to figure out why the hell this seemingly healthy Pope suddenly drops dead 33 days after um, being crowned Pope. Yes. And that 33, I'm sorry, but every time I see the number 33, I'm I'm, I'm actually starting to wonder if, because you see on loads in the news, particularly in the last three years. And I'm starting to wonder if, if it isn't some sort of code for those in the know that tell them that a particular event is, is not what they think it is. Um, that they know that if something says, oh, 33 this or 33 that, they'll know that on some level it's, it's BS. But that's just one of my crazy theories. And I have spent an, an awful lot of time down rabbit holes. So well, you know what? Too seriously. Thank goodness we don't have a thirty-third day of the month. <laughs> well, it's it's even better that leap year is not. Yeah. Instead of being twenty-eight days, it's not thirty-three days. Mm-hmm. Imagine. And um, the Vatican has, throughout this, has always staunchly maintained the occurrence of a national a natural death in all official communications. In 2017, a documentary entitled The Pope's Mortician aired on the 40th anniversary of the Pope's death, discrediting theories of murder and reaffirming the official cause. So they've they're basically yeah, done a number. The narrative. Now, now we, we're going to get, we're going to diverge a bit and we're going to talk about Roberto Calvi. Um, and also... Paul Marcinkus and Michel or Michele, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, Sedona. And this is Calvi, uh-huh. of Blackfriars Bridge fame. Marcinkus, who was a, um, a bishop from Chicago, from quite a rough part of Chicago, who had connections to uh, the Chicago mob and various other creatures. Sedona was Calvi's predecessor, and he essentially started building up the Vatican Bank finances. Um, And the Vatican Bank, essentially, he started doing lots of dodgy stuff with, essentially using the Vatican's 
tax exempt sovereign status as a way of transferring money around and, and the Vatican would own shares which would then get transferred to different companies in Switzerland or in the Bahamas and there was huge amounts of Italian tax dodging and outright financial fraud that, that these guys were involved in. Now Calvi is the, he's the more famous because of the Blackfriars Bridge Instant. Yeah. Um, but he was known as God's Banker because of his association with the Vatican. Right. Um, and he was found dead under London's Black, Blackfriars Bridge in June 1982. Um, his peculiar death was officially ruled a suicide. Um, and it resonates with the element of conspiracy surrounding the Vatican Bank and its obscure connections with the secretive P2 Masonic Lodge. Right, um, so as leader of yeah, so so um, Andrew in the chat mentions P two, and um, yeah, this is where we get to Operation Gladio. Yeah, Gladio was a terror. It was essentially a NATO and P two um, operation in Italy and in uh, places like Greece and other parts of Europe, whose sole aim was to stop any kind of communist government from happening in any kind of significant European country like Italy or Greece. And so yeah, they would have Italy were quite, assassinations. Italy were quite, um, they were quite going down that route at one point, weren't they? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, at one point, um, parts of uh, the Mediterranean were not, not particularly safe, safe places. I mean, they had... They, they they did stuff in Greece, they did stuff in Spain. I mean, the the CIA and the Mafia and all of these deep state dark force bastards, that, pardon my French, that are essentially responsible for pretty much every bad thing that's happened. Not, no, not every bad thing, but a lot of the, the shenanigans, let's just use a bit, of, a bit more of a polite word than I was going to, um... It, they're all interlinked. This is one of the, the reasons why this this story is so interesting. Um, and, it, yeah, it's controversial as well. Uh, but as leader of the most controversial Italian bank, Banco Ambrosiano, Calvi was entangled in a world of financial scheming, political alliances and clandestine societies, which led to his ostensible suicide, um, which, when you hear the story, he had he was found with bricks in his pockets and if you look at Blackfriars Bridge <laughs> like it's not job. exactly particularly easy to hang yourself no no it's not is it um so yeah but Calvi's ties to the Vatican Bank which is also known as the Institute for Works of Religion the IOR which is which is how it started it, it the, the whole aim of this organization was to further religious works and to, to fund churches and missionaries and priests and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, under Paul Marcinkus, the Vatican Bank's influential director, Calvi was reportedly engaged in illicit activities like money, money laundering and channeling funds to covert right-wing entities. When Banco Ambrosiano collapsed under the burden of $1.3 billion in bad debts, and this is back in the 1980s. Yeah. So $1.3 billion 
back then was is worth a lot more. I don't know exactly what it would be worth in 2023, um, but it's that's a serious amount of money. I mean, yeah. it's a serious amount of money even now, but it was more serious back then. You you didn't hear things being talked about in in terms of billions as much as you do today. Yeah, yeah. And it was before there were any real billionaires as well. But apart from people like yeah. Ross Charles, but that's always been secret. <laughs> yeah. Now, Calvi's relations with the IOR came under careful scrutiny um, because it was a significant shareholder in the bank. The core of the Calvi mystery begins to unravel in the hallowed halls of the Vatican Bank, which had vested interests in safeguarding its reputation and safeguarding its intricate web of influence. And we can't go any further without mentioning the Peter Masonic Lodge, which is a clandestine organization boasting members of the zenith, the zenith of Italian society and politics, including Calvi. The propaganda doing Masonic Lodge of Italy was a secret society on which this bit, I mean, there's always been suspicion. Um, the alliance is said to have been forged with Vatican City and its alleged involvement in the abrupt death of Pope John Paul I, which puts it at the centre of numerous conspiracy theories. The Peace Who Lodge, led by its last worshipful, worshipful master, Licio Licio Gelli? Licio Gelli. There you go, there you go, you got it. All you need to do is extend every word with either an O or an A. Licio, I do like Italian. Ah, Licio. It's one of those languages that just, it always sounds so cool. Yeah. Bene, Um, bene. Yeah, but Italian has a certain poetry to it. Um, Now, Peter is frequently considered a massively insidious organization and responsible for several undisclosed operations aiming at undermining democracy in Italy. While Masonic lodges generally espoused ideals of liberty, equality, and the pursuit of spiritual and moral betterment, yeah, right, Peter is often considered a shadow government. Its members reportedly extend into the echelons of political, financial, military, and religious institutions creating a network that throttles control over Italy's important affairs. Um, many people have pointed to the P2 Lodge's connections to the Vatican. Specifically, it's rumoured that several top clergy and bureaucrats within the Vatican bureaucracy were P2 members themselves, one of whom being that Marcinka's guy. They served yeah. as vital conduits, enabling, enabling the P2 Lodge to have behind-the-scenes influence on the church, church's political and economic affairs. One of the most sensational alleged episodes in this secretive interplay was the untimely demise of Pope John the Pope, Paul himself. Officially, his death was ascribed to heart failure, um, but it, it's a good chance that he was going to expose corruption in the Vatican and, and its links to the P2 Lodge. It's, one of, it's pretty much the, the entire subject of David Yallop's book, Um and we go back to the lack of autopsy, immediate embalming of the body, inconsistent testimony about the discovery. Um, and again, he he was he seemed to be on the verge of spilling the beans. Um, the Vatican released its internal investigation into its economic affairs in 2020. It's called the report on the Holy See's institutional knowledge and decision making related to former Cardinal. Theodore Edgar McCarrick. 
just it really gives you an idea of what it'd be like to read the bloody thing. The Vatican Insider's knowledge reflected in this report might be likened to an iceberg model, sensing that there is a lot hidden under the surface, reaffirming suspicions about the Vatican P2 connection. Although the P2 Lodge was officially dissolved in 1981 post the discovery of its classified documents, rumours of the continued influence and operations persist, adding to the enigmatic character of the secret society. Calvary's death, ruled a suicide by the initial investigation, is fraught with cryptic details suggesting a calculated execution, the hallmarks of ritualistic murder. Calvary was discovered hanging from scaffolding beneath Blackfriars Bridge, his pockets filled with bricks ah. and substantial amounts of cash in multiple currencies. Scaffolding, that makes it easier. Yeah, didn't I? I finding any pictures, I, I went looking for pictures. The only one, like, there's one of his body, but I'm not going right, to put okay. that on because yeah, it's kind of... Yeah, a bit too gory. Now, um, so he had bricks and loads of cash in his pockets, multiple mm -hmm. currencies. His hands showed no signs of having handled such materials. The methods, conspicuously, conspicuously Masonic in nature, suggest that his death was a symbolic message. Blackfriars resonates with... Fratresneri, uh, the Black Brethren, an epithet for senior P2 members, pointing towards a deep-rooted conspiracy. What? And they, they love their symbolism, as we know. Yeah. Why, why? What were the bricks? Were the bricks symbolic of something, or were they to try and weigh them down so you would die quicker? Um, I, that's a good question. I mean, bricks are very, very symbolic of. Masons, yeah, being yeah, masonry themselves, um, and it, I guess it would it would have more of an effect of um, kind of choking him unless they tied his neck up and then chucked him off the bridge and it broke his neck or something. But yeah. you wouldn't. The thing is that you don't need the bread. It's a very ritualistic no. murder. You wouldn't. You wouldn't necessarily think they would. They would want it to happen um, particularly quickly. Yeah. Yeah, so you think, I think maybe symbolic then. Um, so it does suggest it was a symbolic message. Yeah. yeah. Um, later investigators concluded that Calvary was murdered, but the suspects, the mafia, discontent members of P2, or rogue elements within the Vatican, all have proven links to Calvary, but unproven motivations. The murky world of Calvary, the P2 Lodge and the Vatican Bank holds too many potential plots as subplots, culminating in a deadly climax. However, a lack of concrete evidence has doomed the Calvi mystery to the realm of well-crafted conspiracy theories. Which, unfortunately, is true. Um, even in all the years since, it's been very... There hasn't been a massive new amount of information that's come out yeah, about okay. it. But the official line um, is he was murdered and no one was ever prosecuted for it, is that correct? No, the official line is suicide. Oh, oh right, okay. So the official line is suicide. Yeah, no. Right, okay. Yeah, the, the police and the UK, the UK government people deemed it um, okay. a suicide. Okay. But that that's also, that that's that's up there with the whole, um, Iraq's got weapons of mass destruction on the believability scale. And I, it, it's one of those things I don't think, I don't think anyone that, has even even the kind of um, message that one got from the newspapers of the time would leave you asking questions. It's just it's like no, 
come on, seriously. Yeah, and, um, and to, we might actually be delving down that rabbit hole in a couple of weeks' time, round about the, uh, the weapons of mass destruction. Yes, we yes, that's we'll we'll come to that in a wee while. Um there's not that much to go. Um Yeah, I'm just putting teasers out there. Yeah, no teasers are good. And and also we're gonna we've decided that um well you kindly asked me if I wanted to do every two weeks, so yeah. we're gonna give that a go and see see if I can actually put together enough um research and stuff for a show in a couple of weeks. We'll see how that goes. Um, as chilling as it may be, it may sound, this whole thing remains a cautionary tale against the dangerous game of politics buried deep within organisations like the Vatican and others. I mean, we can see... I, I, I like to think of Pope John the Paul, John Paul I. He was kind of the Vatican's JFK, um, and he was someone who wanted to actually try and change things and make them better. Yeah. Um now, going back to this book by David Yallop for a moment. Where are we? There we go, in God's name. Um, he raised, He's the one that's essentially raised most of the allegations against the Vatican Bank and the connections with Freemasonry, organized crime and intelligence agencies. And for anyone out there who is interested in this subject... I can't recommend this book highly enough. It's it's a really riveting read. He's he's got a great a great literary style um, as well, and he goes into a huge amount of detail. This the, the research is meticulous, and he has he's tried to locate multiple sources for all of his claims. He doesn't always necessarily identify all of them um, for obvious reasons, but where. He can identify them. He doesn't. Where he can't, he's honest about it. Um, and his in, his understanding of the Vatican's inner workings, the mechanics of the financial institutions, complexity, the complexities, all of it are profound. I mean, it's quite a big book. Um, he doesn't shy away from pointing fingers either. Um, and several high-profile figures come under his scrutiny, the most prominent being the former Vatican Secretary of State, Cardinal Velo. Now, of all of the... You just have to look at that. Creepy. Just, he just, he's just creepy. He, he creeps me out. He, he and every picture, looks, every picture that I found of, of Pope John Paul I, he's got this really... He's either smiling or he's partially smiling or yeah. his eyes are smiling and his mouth is trying to be serious. And every picture of this Velo guy, I think he's French... It just creeped me out. He's just... He looks like Bishop Brennan. Yeah, he's got a touch of darkness about him. He looks um, like one of those guys that are normally described with a word that starts with P. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Catholic, yeah, yes. Absolutely. Um... But it's... And, and he had so much control when we when we do conspiracy research when we talk about rabbit holes one of the things that we keep coming back to is who had the, the ability to do it who would have would have stood to lose mm-hmm. we're talking about people we're talking about huge huge amounts of money we're talking about potential jail time for people like my sinkers and 
Calvi and some of these people and probably a whole load of others on top of that. Yeah. So there's, there's plenty of motive. Who has the means? The people around him. I mean, he died. If you die of a heart attack with no visible signs of any kind of, um, there's no struggle, there's no exertion, there's no injury, then that, that narrows down the options to something congenital, i.e. something he may well have died of at any moment, mm-hmm. or poison, yeah. or some other means. I don't know, poison dart, EM, some, some sort of electromagnetic something or other. Who knows what, what methods they have for getting rid of people with heart attacks, but we know the fact that the CIA has been able to well maybe I mean heart so that's another there's another rabbit hole wasn't there the heart attack gun uh, yeah absolutely it's, it's, but, it's a week, but it could have been it could, solve. It, may, it could just have been something in his food couldn't it if it was if it, it was that yeah I mean I, I, I don't know I, I don't know if anyone's ever died of a heart attack from food poisoning. No, I, d- I don't I, mean it could have been food poisoning. What I meant is something could have been introduced into his food. Well, that's the most likely. I mean, that's what that's what Yallop is yeah. is implying. Right. Okay. Um, and it would be the it would be the easiest way to to do it. Um, obviously, the book has. I mean, it created a storm when it was released. Um, the Vatican have probably declared it as heresy or something. Um, I don't think they burn books anymore, but they probably would if they could. But uh, again, there's a lot of people that the, the normies don't even ask them what they think about it because, yeah. Um, now, despite the controversies, there's no denying that the book is a staggering indictment of the corruption within the Vatican. Yeah. And he goes into a huge amount. So I didn't, I didn't want to bore people with hours and hours of detail about all of the shenanigans, the financial shenanigans at the Vatican. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, but, the, the Catholic Church were nearly broke at one point, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's like we were talking about um, last week. That yeah. in, it was 1929... And I think it was not that long after. It all comes back to this: these three, um, starting with the donor. Yeah. And Marcinkus was facilitating a lot of this shenanigans in the, the Vatican, and essentially he would create um, a, a company. Sedona would create a company um, and he would then register it with the Vatican. And of course, the Vatican doesn't have to, it's all secret, so they don't have to say anything. And they didn't have to say that it was actually the Vatican that was then owning that. So he was basically circumventing all sorts of laws by investing in his own companies. Calvi did that on a massive scale with a company that he owned in Switzerland where, again, he was basically funneling stuff to the Vatican, um, and the Vatican was keeping it all secret. And then through other back channels, they were sending the cash back, and in the process, they were increasing and decreasing the value of companies and shares. And at one point, um, the Italians tried to investigate the Vatican for years and years and years, and every time they got it, 
even close to it, the Vatican would turn around and say, look, you better not investigate us because we can pretty much crash the entire Italian economy at will yeah. because we own secretly, we own so much of so many shares in so many companies that that they had the ability to to absolutely so, ruin so that of Italy. This ties into last week, doesn't it then? Because as the Pope, he would have completely unfettered access to the secret archives. Absolutely. And Luciani, he was the sort of person, and I, I didn't know that much about him. I mean, I obviously had encountered this via my dad, and I, I didn't actually read in God's name until it came to do time to do the podcast. And it was kind of an excuse for me to read the book as well. Um, but there's, there's so much in there that connects so many different rabbit holes that it's, it's fascinating, the different interplay of... Yeah power and corruption and you can see and the thing is they've put a prodigious reader into the role of pope and then give mm -hmm. him and then give him access to the secret yeah. vatican archives what's he going to do except read them my god it was a recipe for disaster but more, more to the point he probably would have opened them up he would right. have said look this is why is all this stuff secret we yeah. need to we, we need to share this with the world. We need to, right, we need so to do this. Um, I've got a question I need to ask, Ed. Right. Mm -hmm. Why would they elect him? Because they knew what he was like. They knew no, they didn't. They didn't know what no, he was they, like. How would they no, not know what he was like? Well, because he was an interesting one. Because when Pope Paul VI died, they summoned the, the conclave and... Uh -huh. Luciani had three, there were three cardinals that really liked him and right. were really rooting for him. And okay. he didn't, he hadn't, didn't have much reputation apart from with those three. He was completely unknown to the Roman Curia because he, he was one of those cardinals who tried to have as little to do with the Vatican oh. as he possibly could. So kept his head down. So they didn't, yeah, they didn't really know him. Right. And through the process, because the whole... Uh, it's called conclave where they decide yeah. the pope and the problem trying to discuss it on a show like this is that the whole thing is utterly secret yeah. and pope paul the sixth actually went to even great he actually um increased the level of security because there was a certain amount of um talking about when he when when he it was his conclave and so he kind of nailed the rules down and if people don't know about conclave, when the Pope dies, they have a whole period of mourning and then they come to decide the new Pope and the Cardinals essentially, which is at the top level of the Catholic church below the Pope, they all get locked into a massive, um, yeah. hall, it's a bit which, like, whose it's, name, it's a bit like NASA when a rocket blows up and they, sh they yeah. lock the mission room doors. Yeah. And everybody gets, they stay in there until they've sorted out the, the issues, yeah? And and this yeah. is what they do in, in the conclave. They basically yeah, get locked literally in. literally locked in there. Yeah, and no communication until until we get white white smoke. Yeah, it's, yeah. um, no, nah, is it white smoke or black smoke? Essentially. Black smoke's a failure, no, is it not? White smoke's, we've got a new pope. No, it's black, no, black, uh, oh. huh? hang on. No, I should know this. You should know this. 
I th I'm sure white smoke signifies a new pope. Uh, so, the smoke signaling of the election of a new pope is produced by a mixture of potassium perchlorate, anthracene, and sulfur, according to the Vatican <sighs> press offices. We're getting a chemical. We're getting the chemical. On the roof of the Sistine Chapel, it means no, it's the other way around. If white smoke emerges from the, the, the roof of the Sistine Chapel, it means a new pope has been chosen. Mm -hmm. If black smoke emerges, it means no consensus yeah. has been reached among the 115 voting cardinals. Yeah, so it's white smoke, um, white they, smoke new pope. Yeah, yeah, and the cardinals they they have multiple votes during the day, um, yeah. and they have all the servants and everything else locked in with them. Is that when they have the orgy? Um, so say that again. Is that when they have the orgies? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think there have been any orgies in the Vatican for about five hundred years. Yeah, I don't believe that. It's like saying there's never any cocaine in the White House. <laughs> Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, or or, or Westminster. <laughs> yeah, as if, as if they're subsidised bar, wouldn't they? Not? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Madness. But that's pretty much. I mean, his. Just to finish off, Pope John Paul's tenure was brief. His impact on the Catholic Church was profound, marked by his humility, simplicity, and reformist intentions. His unexpected death surrounded by a fog of mystery and controversy has spawned multiple conspiracy theories and provided ample fodder for speculation and also for rabbit hole explorations. The lack of transparency regarding the circumstances of his death simply fuels the rumours, casting an eerie shadow over what would have been a time of mourning. While we may never gain full clarity on the truth behind Pope John Paul I's death, the intrigue surrounding his life and death adds a curious chapter to the history of the papacy. Though shrouded in mystery, his legacy lives on. A bright, brief, bright beacon in the annals of the Catholic Church, never to be forgotten. His influence continues to guide the Church in its mission of salvation, much like the symbol of his papacy, a ship upon, a stormy, upon stormy seas. And that was end of the presentation. And thank you all for listening. Yeah. Where we can take some questions if people have questions yeah. or if there's some comments if yep. I got anything wrong that people um, it was would like to point out. Well, right. So, uh, well, one question I've got is, um, I mean, Spencer says possibly poison medication, which would explain why it was removed quickly. So, if he was so healthy, what medication was he actually on? Um. I don't know. Mm. That's a good question. I mean, that's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> it? It could have been, it could have been aspirin. I didn't really look that deeply into what the meds were. Um, mm. Although I, I can, I could certainly do a little bit more research and. Uh, yeah, come back to us next time. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I'll come back to you. I'll come back to you with the answer for that one, right? So, I mean, I, I, it's just a. Uh, I mean, it's probably something I can look up myself. To be fair, I just it's quite interesting. Oh, what have we here? What have we here? We have a meme. This is Ahmed. Yeah, this is. I call this. I thought people would like to see <laughs> this one. This, this is my. Um, yeah, I call this one Cockwombles of Wimbledon. <laughs> so, who's? Oh, is that meant to be Starmer? No, that's oh. the just up oil. All right, okay. That's You're confusing me now because 
Well, what is Starmer? What what's he going to be? I mean, Rishi. Oh, I don't know. I haven't decided. Oh, right, I've okay. got him as no Starmer is. Um, I've done him as uh, I've done him as a Wumble. I've done him as Snooty. I've done him Snooty? as Snooty or Snoopy. So, no, yeah, Snooty. Snooty, right? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. I I'm, I I mean, I've got some time before he ends up inevitably. Turning the United Kingdom into freaking New Zealand. Um, so yeah, people have to follow me on Twitter because I've tried. Oh, well, I also tried him as Basil Brush, uh, which was just not no, particularly popular not. because Basil Brush is it's a well loved sacrosanct. <laughs> Basil Brush is a well loved character, mate. You don't want to get down that route. And and to be fair, so are the Wombles. Wombles. The Wombles of Wimbledon coming away. Brush is funny, though. I mean, come on. Yeah, but he's not like... <laughs> Starmer's not funny. That's the problem. I mean, you need something yeah, no, that... Star, Starmer's... He's a, he's he is a, a bit of a Hector's house. And maybe... You know, I know it, it's an old... It's an old um, kids' programme, Hector's house. So not many people are going to remember it. But Hector was a boring old bugger. And that was the whole crux of the matter. And, and that's a bit like Starmer, because he is a boring old bugger, isn't he? There's Hector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The problem with Hector is because he's quite old. Yeah. There aren't. There isn't enough. I know. I found enough angles of Roland Rat. Yeah. To make Rishi work. Yeah. Um, and in case people don't who are listening don't know, I've I've been on probably the last two or three weeks. I've been on a mission to convert our dear leader into a face that is far more. Bun than yeah. his actual face. Yeah. And there's loads of them. Yeah, no, so I mean, every, Rishi, time, Rishi. every time Rishi posts one of his cheesy, yeah. because he's got the most awful fake smile as well. Oh, he does. And I, yeah, I turn him into Roland. I mean, uh, you, you know what? Uh, uh, you're just showing pictures of Rishi. I, I don't understand why you didn't mean them. <laughs> I keep people keep saying that to me. It's like it's like Mariana Spring. <laughs> yeah, um, you keep making a better look another, than she really is. Well, this this is the thing. So I was experimenting with with a bit of um, a bit of additional bill treatment with Mariana. Yeah, but yeah, she she's another one that's oh, that's <laughs> not attractive. I don't know. She should no, she always there. That's, and with that's all, not that, that's not a good look. That is definitely not a good look. Um, but yeah, she doesn't look as good yeah, as she does generally. Um, yeah, she. I heard that she tried to restart Bud Light, but um, <laughs> yeah. And there's 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 someone that's been in the news, Emmanuel. Which, if people look, I don't know if people can see it, but there's a a certain. No, oh, we probably can't see yeah, it. The co- hold on, let me see. Yeah, no, that's coffee. It's, it's Klaus. Hold on, Klaus, hold on. Klaus Schwab. Oh, right, okay. Are we tiny? Pic- that that picture tiny. of him. Uh, it's not him. I mean, it's clearly... Tiny. looks like him, but Tiny, tiny, tiny Klaus Schwab in the distance. Yeah. Um, and there's that, that was the spanner that Elon threw into the works over the weekend. Yeah, well, the, right, okay, well... Did he really though? Because the the whole uh, uh, you've probably not seen our show on you've not seen Monday's show. I missed that one. I watched uh, the one last night with Matt Letizia, which was really good, by the way. Thank you. But um, yeah, you need to watch Monday's show because uh, 
He might actually be doing it for all the right reasons. He might not, but or he might just be doing it for the wrong reasons, but the right reasons are coming out. Yeah, but you can't deny that a picture of Elon. I mean, this, oh, this meme has picture, got yeah. this has got so much legs. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, because even if he starts throwing, look, if Elon is bad, then he's throwing the spanner in the works of everything good. Yeah. and if yeah. he's good, then he's throwing a spanner in the works of everything bad. Yeah, and you I can't still lose. don't know what to make of him. I mean, his his family is as technocratic as they come. Oh, he's. I mean, he's he's a scion of technocrats. You know what? Um, it's like um. He's probably some kind of android clone. Is he real? I mean, I mean, it's like Zucker, I, I, Zuckerberg is obviously a robot. I mean, I, I, Zuckerberg I, is not I, a normal it, human boy. He just doesn't. I, <laughs> honestly, John, the last, particularly the last couple of, I think it's getting more crazy. But well, it's starting to feel a bit like a cross between um, Westworld uh-huh. and 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 Clown World or something. I don't well, know. What's happening it, on the planes? Have you seen this? The plane? Yeah, the the, the woman that freaked out said that, and, you know, and she she really went off on one. But I she, missed that one. Well, have did you, you not seen did it? You guys cover that in another one of your shows? No, I, I don't. I don't think we've covered it yet, but. She went off, well, maybe we did. She went off on one on a plane, right? Saying that the guy she was sitting beside wasn't real. And she stood up and st- I mean, this was all on Twitter. And she stood up and stormed to the front. It was all filmed. She stormed to the front of the plane. She's telling people that mother is not real, right? And she says, I'm getting off the plane. And she caused the plane to be delayed for over three hours because she did get off the plane before it took off. She goes, You guys want to fly? Yeah, and you can all die with him, right? But I'm not getting on this plane, and apparently... I need to look, I missed that one. Yeah, you need to look it up, because, I mean, it's all over Twitter, I don't know if you missed it, but apparently nobody was arrested, which is strange. <laughs> I, yeah. And then there was another guy freaked out about something beside. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, okay, but, well, this is my day job, basically. <laughs> providing entertainment for but, you guys and remember if you wish well, to support us then you can always drop us a little something at ko-fi.com forward slash chasing descent or patreon.com forward slash chasing descent or indeed at uh, paypal.me forward slash chasing this d-i-s-s um, and anything you do will be gratefully appreciated obviously you can also uh, do super chats and things on the chat here and if you did do that, your question would have been answered instantly by Ed. I should have said that straight away. So if you want to see oh, yeah, chat no, in I'll, the chat, I'll, I'll do that. Um, Ed will instantly answer your questions. But also, I mean, it, I don't know if anyone has got any questions. Um, I'm not getting a lot of questions. Uh, no questions from the troll okay. room? Nope. So it's looking like, um, thank you, Ed. That's been... That's been an interesting, an interesting rabbit hole that finishes off the Vatican secret archives. Um, where are we going next then? Well, we were talking about this earlier, and I would very much like to cover David Kelly. Yeah, yeah, you would. Who, who was the the weapons? Um, well, weapons inspector, Porton Down person who was found dead on Harrowdown Hill mm-hmm. and there was a whole massive hoo-ha 
about sexing up of dossiers and him being a weapons inspector, but there's a lot more to that particular story. And it's also timely because it's, uh, I think it's 20 years. It was 2003 that I believe that he was found dead. Okay. So it's 20 years, yeah. 20 year anniversary in July this year of David Kelly's death. So yeah, I remember. That's okay with you. I, that's yeah, I, I don't see why not. I think I think we'll go down that rabbit hole, and then we can spin off another one from that. But yeah, I think um, I think it'll be very interesting because there was a lot, lot, an awful lot going on around that time. Huge amounts. Yeah, and and I mean it was Huge. before the Iraq War and yeah. after nine eleven, and we had. So we had the evil phony Tony Blair. Yeah. Let's finish with a one of one of my favourite personal memes, and I reckon personally the most accurate picture of Tony Blair that has ever been created by anybody is that one. <laughs> yes. I mean, you, you can't you 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 can't deny. You, you know that. what? It, it it's not bad, right? But Tony looks. Too human. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, 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 he's he's one of those people that I've, I I enjoy because everybody hates him. I mean, he yeah. keeps coming back. He's like, it, it, it's like a, a poo that you can't flush. <laughs> it's just, it just doesn't. Uh, he is a so, horrible, yeah. horrible man. And and he's still it, it, hanging around and still coming up with stuff just now. It's just like, and everything he's coming up with is bad. Everything oh, he's yeah, coming yeah, up I know, with. I, I listen to it and I think, nope, don't want that. Oh no, look, oh there's Tony promoting more jabs. Oh there's Tony oh. promoting global ID. Oh look, oh, there's the Tony yeah. Blair Foundation. I mean, oh god, oh god, it's like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Rockefeller yes. Foundation. Indeed. I think we should ban foundations, John. What do you think? I, I think you could be right. I th you know what? I think we should ban people from interfering with other people's lives. I think that's what we should do. I think so too. Yeah. And with that, I'd like to thank you, Ed, for this. This most illuminating rabbit hole. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. And I hope... Thank you, John. Like everything, it's been great for you... Yeah, we were built to thrive, yeah I think that we've all had enough Keeps you up at night, yeah Make all the demons quiet, yeah we